0: friend, welcome to episode 95 of the Christian Woman Leadership Podcast. Today, we are going into our second episode in the Discipleship Series. We are talking with Madge Obaseki. Madge is an active member of our Purposeful Leadership Facebook group, and we had so much fun talking with her in this conversation. In this episode, you're going to hear about Madge's leadership journey and how burnout led to her becoming passionate about the issue of discipleship. In addition, Holly and I chat with her about practical steps that churches can take to implement discipleship, as well as why people are leaving the church and how small groups can play a role in the discipleship process. We even asked Madge if she thinks that people should be plugged into serving before being discipled. And that was one of the things that Holly and I chatted about on last week's episode. So if you haven't checked out episode 94, you might want to go back and listen to that one before this one, because it is kind of going to work together. All right. So I know you're going to love this conversation with Madge. I want to just let you know a little bit about her and her background. Her career spans 27 years in business, the public sector, and nonprofit and faith organizations. She is also an ordained minister and a healthy growth advocate for churches. She works with churches and ministries to address the challenges of engagement and retention in the 21st century. You can read more about her and her background and get all the links to everything we discuss in this episode at esterlittlefield.com slash episode 95.
1: Welcome, Madge, to the podcast today. We're so glad you could join us. So we'll just dive right in with you just telling us about yourself, what you have going on in your life, and how you're leading right now.
2: Yeah. Well, let me start off by saying um that um I, I didn't even realize I was a leader until somebody told me I was because I was leading before I actually realized I was leading.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: honestly, uh, that was from about the age of seven, I would say. So I grew up in a very large family, um, nine children and both parents worked and, um, because some of my siblings were born abroad and I wasn't, I, I actually looked after the younger set. So I was the oldest of the younger set if that makes any sense. So I I kind of I've been leading, you know, um I guess I was influencing my my um my siblings because frankly that's what a leader is, you know, an influencer. And then um I with with regard to my faith journey, um that started around probably the age of eight. And, um, our parents, and I, I have to use this word advisedly, um, advised us. <laughs> <laughs> That's the British diplomacy for they forced us to go yeah. to Sunday school. <laughs> and, um, I quite enjoyed it because actually I was a singer from very early on, but What I noticed was that when I was outside the four walls of that church, it was a United Reformed Church, I didn't really feel the love. And because I was so strictly brought up, I put up with that until I was about 16 years old. And then I thought, I can't do this anymore. And I stood up to my parents and believe you me, if you know how strictly I was brought up, and we're talking about Victorian, um, that was quite a brave thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I refused to go back to any assembly or any church, I prefer to call them assemblies, and until I was about 30. So I spent, I spent, I had a misspent youth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, I did all the things that you shouldn't do and everything. And you know, you can't regret anything because at the end of the day, this is where you learn your life lessons. And actually, some of my leadership lessons have mm. been learned through that. Um, that was that was so I, I, I did not go back or enter into any sort of church or assembly until I was around about 30. And that was 30 years ago. So I have had quite an interesting, um, you know, uh, spiritual formation in some ways. But once I entered into the church, what I, um, was very passionate about was serving. And I remember the preacher used to say, um, your gift will make room for you, and he kept repeating it. It was like a stock standard sermon every week, you know. <laughs> and so it was drilled into your ears. And so I decided that um, I was going to find out how I could get this gift. Um, and so I worked really, really hard. And I thought that was the way to salvation because. Frankly, if I look back now, I didn't realize at the time there was no formal discipleship. So mm. I just thought that by working that you get closer to God. And um, that went on for quite a while until, um, frankly, I burnt out because when people knew that I could do lots and lots and lots of things, they gave me lots of things to do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it piled, and I didn't say no because at that point, I don't think I was as assertive as I needed to be mm. um, and I felt felt that you know I would be letting God down, so I did everything that I was asked to do until, as I said, I burnt out, and it wasn't until two years later that I re-entered yet another assembly, but the same thing happened again because it hadn't been addressed the first time and if I look back now and my passion for discipleship it was to do with the fact that I it wasn't put into context um your your work you know your work for God your physical work and actually building up a relationship that was never talked about so it's shocking to me that when I reflect back all that time ago, that the things that we are experiencing now in the 21st century as Christians, I experienced it decades ago. Um, so what's going to change? Um, I don't know. But, right. you know, from my personal background, I, um, I'm an HR, I'm a human resources professional. Um, I've been in the industry for a long time, but my, my passion, uh, well, one of my passions is training and organizational development. And so I work with, I've, I work with churches, but I do work with businesses as well. And nonprofits, we call them charities over here, nonprofits, it's the same thing. And, um, I, I really love what I do because I see that transformation happening. Um, And I've had a really interesting journey on the way with that, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. (laughs) Um, I am a serial entrepreneur as well. I've had quite a lot of businesses. I've been a jazz singer. I've written a musical play. I've done a lot of stuff. Um, But it's all been useful for this part of my life and this journey Mm. and this, this purpose I'm on. Because believe it or not, I don't think I have been really on purpose until I reached my fifties. Really,
0: wow! It's so that's me in a nutshell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how God brings all of those different things into our lives and how He uses them all for His glory and His purpose. So I love that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing nothing goes to waste.
0: Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, every experience is really, really important. Mm
0: -hmm. That's awesome. So, Madge, one of the things that, you know, we wanted to have you on the podcast and you're an active member in our Facebook group, which I love. I love how you contribute and you share in there. And, you know, I've noticed that you definitely have that experience in church growth, but also Mm. talking about discipleship. And so this month as we're in this series on discipleship, you know, mm. we'd love to hear from you and I you touched on it a little bit in your intro so it's it's great to hear kind of your personal side of this. But what are some of the reasons that you are passionate about this the subject of discipleship within churches?
2: Well, the the burnout was was surreal. I mean, when I I look back and then I saw um as I started to uh, serve in another assembly and I saw the same patterns in me repeated in other people and I thought what could be causing that um I am passionate because as a church as a body we should be in the position of impacting uh society as a whole and And, in some cases, we are, but you you and I know that we 've got a few p r problems at the moment, and if we can get people um, discipled in a way that reflects um the mind of christ and and the way he is and the way he taught his disciples um we should have those examples that we can duplicate but the criticisms come and it hurts me when I hear things like the church is not having an impact on the communities um it's irrelevant um i am i'm i'm a good person so i must be christian too you know all those things are really hurting us um and we've got a fantastic message I just think we've got a bit of a branding issue at the moment and, um, and also we need to understand what that brand is. And I say the royal we because we're all leaders and on your podcast, there are leaders, whether they're church leaders or leaders in, in the secular realm or whatever. Mm -hmm. We're all leaders in the, in, in, even in the marketplace and we can bring that message to people if we are very clear ourselves. But I think it's got a bit muddied with social media. We've got reality TV, um, and believe it or not, even believers are involved in that process, which worries me. Um, But I'm passionate because we have got something great to offer. There are people out there that are longing, longing to find an answer But we're all over the place. We have different denominations. We've got, even within denominations, we don't always agree on what we believe or what we, but the core is Jesus Christ. And I think if we can get back to basics, then I would be, you know, I'd be over the moon if, before I leave this earth, (laughs) we have got back to that point where we've gone back to basics and we've gone back to the age of I grew up in um the late 50s early 60s and um in that time um you know Christianity you would have the lo- either the local priest it could be your pastor um these people were people that were the moral compasses at the time what moral compass have we got now what we've got is influencers, um, as I said, re- reality TV, um, how many likes am I getting on my social media? These are all things that seem to be the moral compass at the moment. Mm. So um, in a nutshell, I am infused by the work that people are doing, and that's not to decry what people are doing, but there have to be more of us doing this work um so that pushes me and because of that um i i went back to university 3 years ago in 2016 um to do a course in ministerial theology a bachelor's degree because you know um as uh, apostle paul says um i think he he says something like you know i need to show myself approved and that's what i felt i needed to do at the time Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I uh, my dissertation was all about retention problems and why we're going through them at the moment. That's mm-hmm. how passionately I feel about it, because it is an issue at the moment.
1: Yes. I just want to be like raising the hands <laughs> so many other oh. things you're saying. Um, but oh. you, you mentioned about going back to basics. And so mm. I would love to hear how you define discipleship, just so mm. we can clear up some of that muddiness you were talking about.
2: Exactly. Well, for me, th- and, and that that's such a brilliant question because that's the problem. I don't think we're agreed as believers what discipleship actually is. But if you Mm -hmm. break it really down, it's about somebody who's learning from somebody else to duplicate that example. That's what Jesus did. If you look through his short life and his ministry, his followers were behind him all the way witnessing the miracles and listening to the parables and you know and and he was sitting down and talking to them and explaining to to them about you know the 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 seed that had, had gone in the wrong direction or the woman with the issue of blood all these things so he was not only telling them he was showing them. And I think personally, that's what's missing at the moment, the showing. Mm. So how do you do that? Well, maybe I can give a few tips later on about what I have seen happen in uh, churches who have gone a little bit more advanced in that area. So it's really simple. It's simple. But obviously complex because we're living in an age where we've got lots of things, you know, competing for our our attention. But Mm -hmm. I do feel like if we could just understand that that is the way to multiply. I don't really like talking about church growth as such, even though I run an organization called Grow the Church now. But it isn't about... (laughs) It isn't about systems. It isn't about how many people we can get in a car park or what Mm -hmm. the metrics are. It's about, it's urgent. And that's why the word now is there because we need to do this now. We Mm -hmm. are in a different decade now. We're in a different era. And so what we need to do is to understand the basics and then start to live them through our examples, and I think the local church is definitely a way of us actually uh, meeting that. We, but unfortunately, we've got a lot of people outside the church who still say that they're believers.
0: What are we going to do to bring them back? Mm. How can we do that? Mm. I love that question, and I definitely want to come back to that. So Mm. let's talk about, though, first, Mm. let's talk about what are some of the things, just the practical things that Mm. churches can be doing, Mm. like you said, now, right now, (laughs) that would help ensure that people who are are coming to that church are being discipled, are seeing the example and then duplicating that example of Jesus' life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if I may, Esther, um, I'm
2: going to use an example. I I served in um, a local church before I became an itinerant minister. And I served in a local church for around about seven years and um, it was really interesting because I had a very prophetic um, unction in, in that church. And I remember the church leader came to me and said, and he, and honestly, I had no discussion with him. I had just started. Then he said, I want you to take charge of the training department. Well, Esther, there was no training department. <laughs> <There was one. laughs> so I just, I took it seriously because I thought there's no way on earth he could have known about this. But I I am passionate about training and developing people. And the first question I asked him after he said that was, so what's the typical journey of uh, somebody that comes into the church for the first time and gives their life to Christ? And he looked blank, completely blank, didn't mm. know what I was talking about. Mm. Yeah. And I said, well, do you have a foundational program? I wasn't even talking about discipleship. I said, do you have a foundational program? Once people come out after the altar call, you know, do you have something that you can transition them into? And he said, no, why don't you write one? So I did. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Took about six months. Because it's not something easy to write and I, and it was, it was a church I hadn't served in that long and you have to get round and I'm afraid to say you've got to get round the politics and uh, the different personality types Mm. uh, and all that to negotiate it all and be you know laser focused um, uh, to share what you're doing so he gave me that responsibility and I wrote something called a foundation course and it was actually really really successful um, because we had people come on a Sunday morning and sometimes we had in a church of around about five hundred people, we would have at least forty people before nine o'clock uh, just to go through the foundation course and it was an eleven week course, or they could do Monday nights and they could do it six um for six weeks. And at the end of it, we would give them, uh, there'd be a ceremony and they would graduate and it was really exciting because they got their, their, um, family involved and it was a win-win, if, if that's the right word to use for everybody because, you know, it was great for the individual. Frankly, it was great for the local assembly as well because, you know, through their family coming, there are other people, you know, Converted as well, so it was a win-win. So I would say, number one, you have to have some sort of foundational level before you even start, and that didn't exist. Um, the other thing that I would say is you need to go beyond thinking that bi- Bible study is discipleship because it's only part of the story, um, and it's really important to know the Word of God, but people need to understand how to apply it to their lives in a practical way,
0: mm-hmm.
2: particularly millennials and particularly Gen Z, which I'm very, very worried about at the moment, because that's a generation that really are able to get all their information from Google. You know, yeah. Google has become their mentor in a way. Um, and but that's not necessarily reality. And that's why we're seeing so much depression um, amongst that age group at the moment. You know, they, they're up to about 21 years old, I think. No, maybe 18, 21, Gen Z. So that's that's something I'm worrying about. So we have to go beyond Bible study. The other thing that I would say is, and I mentioned it earlier, is we not only need to tell, yes, Bible studies, but we need to show um so if we 're telling them we 're telling them through preaching and teaching, but we also need to be showing them by good examples now for instance i i, I don 't know if you saw this, but I put out a post um i, I uh, the posts are all pre programmed but it i I realized it was out today, and it was a coincidence because we 're speaking um about it and i saw a child in a supermarket with their parents and children and they were holding a mini sized uh, shopping trolley uh what do you call them over there shopping cart yeah, same yep. thing yeah yep. <laughs> and they were holding it was like a really sweet little toy sized almost trolley or cart and it occurred to me in that moment but that is a form of discipleship for the supermarkets because mm. what the supermarkets are doing is teaching the children early to get those sort of buying habits in but their parents have got so like follows like you know um even the bible says you know teach the child in the way they should go blah 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 so you know we have to Make sure that we have good examples we can duplicate. I'm not suggesting we take supermarket trolleys out, but I am <laughs> suggesting that if we're, we're leaders, then our, our behavior, um, our examples are, it's really important that, um, when people are observing us, that they're observing the right thing. No, nobody's a saint, but what we need to do is to show the love. I have served or I've worked for commissions with churches where you walk in and it's obvious there's a problem. It's obvious they're not talking to each other. And you can feel in the atmosphere that kind of it's thick with the sort of thing that we shouldn't be doing. So if we can actually set examples, the other thing to think about is that discipleship is about lifelong learning. It doesn't just happen in a four-week course. It happens all the way through. I feel like I'm—I've learned more in this last ten years than I've for the, the the other part of my life because you know you you have to keep developing. I come from the HR world, and we call it continuous professional development. Perhaps we need to make sure that that happens within the church world. And the other thing is that you know, if the spiritual formation falters, then there is no effective, there is no effective discipleship. So we have to get that right before we can get. So it's all about a balance. And I think the things that churches can do is to start a formal program, like our, the the example I mentioned earlier, um, have. Um, people and I I tried this in one assembly, but it felt like too much like hard work for them. But you know, this is not easy work we're talking about, but um, I, I tried something in an assembly. It didn't quite work because they just didn't want to buy into it. But I believe it is something that happens in some of the bigger churches in North America where you've got a buddy or Um, a mentor, somebody who is um, spiritually more mature and can actually hold your hand while you're going through your spiritual journey. Now, the advantage of that is that the church leader, who's quite pastoral, isn't seen as the font of all knowledge and is not therefore stressed out or even burnt out. And the other thing is that you can use other leaders the church grows uh, a bigger as as a result, not because of the numbers, but because they're growing spiritually. Um, one of the other things that I believe that needs to be done is I mentioned it earlier, setting examples that can be well duplicated. And those leaders don't have to be ordained, but they are mature people. And even in the size of the con- congregation, even if you've got 50 people in a congregation, I think small groups are, I've, I've written, written small group programs and I've actually established them in certain churches. And I think small groups are absolutely essential for supporting people when there's only one service a week on a Sunday. That's not going to support anybody. That's just the celebration. But real life happens outside that. So if we have small groups and we can establish those, again, I think that's another amazing thing that we can do. So those that hope I've answered the questions is full on.
1: <laughs> I think you nailed it. <laughs> I, you know, I've been... Thinking about it as you've been talking, I loved the example that you gave about the shopping cart because to even take that one step further as that little child is watching mom and dad shop for groceries, Mm. we're watching mom and dad say, no, I'm not going to pick up the junk food. I'm actually going to pick up you know, the healthy food and Mm. teaching the children what to Mm. pick. And I Mm. think as we think about next generations, they are getting everything. And they mm. don't know how to pick anymore. They mm. don't know how to pick what's healthy for their life, what's mm. healthy for their spiritual life, what's mm. healthy for their family, and mm. get rid of um things that are not. Um, mm. We had someone on the podcast, um, Hilary Morgan Ferrer, and in her book, yes, so about I the chew and split method. Yeah. And yeah. these are the sorts of things that you learn through discipleship and through your example of the mm. the shopping cart. So I just mm. love that. Thank I you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I would love for you to talk for a second about the issue of retention in churches and mm. why you think people are leaving churches today. Oh my god, that is such a
2: million dollar pound question. It's so massive. Yeah. I, I'm going to I'm going to start by saying when I took it on Um, I was advised that it would be quite a complex subject to do as a 10,000 words dissertation. And me being me, um, I just decided to steam ahead because (laughs) what could be hard after all, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. (laughs) And then the reality check it is a very complicated subject and can't be answered in uh, even a paragraph, a couple of sentences, or frankly, even a 10,000 words document. Yeah. The dissertation that I did was based on an assembly, happened to be an African, actually a Nigerian assembly uh based in the southeast of England. So they had six branches. Spread out across the southeast of England. Um, and they'd actually called me in, um, to find out what they could do about their dwindling numbers and why people were leaving. Um, and it turned out to be a really complex piece of work because you're dealing with culture. Um, you're dealing with, and, and we're talking about the African culture and we're talking about the culture that's in here in London because London's very different to other cities if you've ever been here you'll see a massive contrast so you know taking all that into account we had people who were adults that seemed not to be returning after a few few uh, visits but you also had the Gen Zs and some millennials who were also leaving as well. But they were all leaving for different reasons. And in a 10,000-word document, you can't cover everything. And because I didn't have all the available data for the young people, although I, I'll tell you about something I did afterwards, um, I decided to focus on the adults because they're in the majority and what i found um, my conclusions were that the main challenge in that assembly and frankly it it probably aligns to every other assembly is um first of all the leadership and the style of the leadership was was quite um quite autocratic etc um the government governance in the case of this particular assembly um it was just they they were governing themselves to govern themselves. It was just completely over the top and um we also found uh frankly that that where where we had uh people of um uh different it's it was a different race they didn't understand the culture they didn't understand how how to operate within it. And so there was a little bit of a pull between um, what's happening now and what happened when that church was first established, which is over 100 years ago, mm. over 100 years ago. So, um, we, you know, we, we're talking about the governments, the leadership, but we're also talking about a lack of discipleship. And that came into my my conclusions as well. Um, So there were three major, major things. And actually, that's not very different to the conclusions that a lot of the academics are coming up with as well. And so that's why it's important uh, that we develop leaders in a more efficient way. Uh, Most leaders I've noticed um, are um, made a leader or promoted, if you like, as a leader based on their gift based on the fact that they can pray really well. For example, I know someone who prayed, prayed the rain down, prayed heaven and earth down, but they were never trained as a leader. And when they became a leader, because they were so impressed with their gift or their skill, if you like, then they struggled. They really did struggle because, you know it, it being a leader and, and looking after people and 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 really understanding people is the most difficult thing I think you can do in life, you know, just dealing with people, so I think it's really important that we understand what is causing this, obviously within retention, you've got retention outside um in other words. We're not retaining people that would normally automatically, um, be classed as a Christian or, uh, or a believer. And that's because we're in a different time. We know that in, in America, I did a little bit of work on America for one of my assignments. And I understand that you can correct me on this because you live there. <laughs> I know that, uh, education, um, prohibits religious education within the education sector. It's becoming that way in parts of Europe, including the UK. Now, that's going to have a massive impact. Already, children feel, and uh, there was, um, you know, TBN, you know, TBN, the TV channel. And they were interviewing some people on the street and saying, you know, who do you think Jesus is? And a lot of them, I was just dumbfounded. I was shocked. Um, said that they thought, thought it was fable or that he really didn't exist. He was a mythical character. Mm. That's a worry. Yeah. Um, yeah. so it, it, to answer that question, you know, probably, you know, even, even the, the, the professors are not able to answer it in full. You know, they talk about secularization. Um, and the fact that you know we're m- m- more upwardly mobile, and it, it, there's so many reasons why. But if we can deal at a local church level with some of the issues, and not not take on everything, but take on their own, oh, I think we can start to get because the local church is very, very important.
0: Yeah. I think what you're talking about there is a big part of discipleship, and you can give us your perspective on this, but it seems like a big part of discipleship also needs to be uh helping the current generation be able to relate to our outside culture. Because what you're saying is like culture is changing. And if we mm-hmm. as churches, if we as Christians don't Uh, develop an ability to communicate (laughs) effectively with that Mm. culture we're we're Mm. just losing people right yeah so do you think that that how does that connect with this issue of discipleship and how we can do a better job as our churches you know continue on into the next generation well you
2: know you you've got it so spot on um I went to um while I was at at you well after I but I still go back from time to time and um I had this um, uh, series of lectures and um, very cleverly, uh, one of my, uh, he w- he's not a professor, doctor, one of my lecturers actually invited in uh, some Gen Zs and millennials uh, in the mix, which hardly ever gets done. Um, that's something else I should have added: is we need to involve the young people mm. in every stage. And it was really, really interesting. Um, we were, um, one of them was saying, talking about, um, the language called Christianese. I don't know if you've ever heard. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's like this in talk. Yeah. You know, nobody else understands it outside. My, my mentor, one of my mentors is Paul Scanlon. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but. He's. Um, he was a pastor for 30 years, and now he's an international speaker on communications, and he still preaches as well, all over the world, mainly in Australia, New Zealand, and he goes to America as well. And he was saying, you know, you've got to speak human. You can't... <laughs> You've got to be cute because if people don't understand what you're saying, they feel as though and and I, I I did some i I alluded to it earlier. I did some research um in 2017. Um it was quite small sample, only 209 people, and there were millennials in the UK um, from certain parts of the UK, uh, actually everywhere except Scotland because um, we couldn't get any Scottish people. But the point is that um a lot of them were saying that they have backed out of the church or backed out of their local assembly because they feel as though they've entered an exclusive club to which they can never belong. Mm. that's an indictment, isn't it? Isn't it yeah. John? So um so I I totally get where you're coming from in terms of we have to understand how to communicate in this uh, as, as it is now. I'm sure if Jesus were here, he could do, do what we are not necessarily doing because that's what he was doing. Do you remember the woman at the well? He wasn't even supposed to be talking to her. He's a Jew talking to Samaritan woman. They're supposed to be the, the, the dirt of the whatever. And yet here he is talking to this woman and communicating her with her in a, in a way that felt very human. I think we need to be starting to do that again. I get loads of comments on um, certain parts of uh, social media about some of the things I bring up and, um, and people say the Bible says it's great. It's great that we understand that, but how do we put that in practice so that people are drawn to us? So I, I totally get where you're coming from in terms of, of, of how we're perceived outside. And it's a lot to do with why we're not retaining or even attracting.
1: Mm. Oh my gosh. So good. <laughs> <laughs> So, I would love to hear your take on this. There are lots of churches now that I think are using small groups as their Mm. discipleship process. So, I would love to know how that plays a role, but you mentioned earlier that that's still not enough. So, I would love Mm. to hear how that plays a role, but how it's um, only a piece of the greater puzzle. Mm. Well, it
2: is, I, I mean, if, if, if local churches do have small groups, then congratulations because small groups are a very important part. And as I said, congratulations to any leader that has gone out there and said, we need small groups. Even though we've got 50 people, we can have 10 people per, per group. And what happens is we can hold their hand. Um, I know, I know, um, there's a, a church up in, um, North Carolina and what they do it, there is they have, uh, the, the small group, um, mirror, what, whatever sermon series it is so they can go deeper because, you know, you get, a, I mean, typically what, how long is a sermon depends on the church. Yeah. Um,
0: 30 <laughs> minutes maybe. <laughs>
2: yeah you you, you'd be lucky in some some denominations some of them I kid you not I have sat through a two-hour sermon where people were literally walking away it's just like ridiculous but you know on average you're talking about 30 maybe 40 minutes yeah um what can you cover you can only cover the surface what you then need to do is to get those people um Uh, Going deeper and doing um, what I call an exegesis, you know, looking deep um, into what was influencing this and how can we relate it to new life? So uh, small groups are actually quite a, a, a big key to this because it keeps the church in people's minds going for the week especially when they're struggling at work or in their business or with their children or with relationships or whatever it is, um, then they've got that. You would be surprised, you know, you pray for somebody in a small group because they're going through something and they will remember that. Even non-believers, I've asked the non-believer, can I pray for you? They will not say no because it's something good for them. So I think small groups are really key to the whole um um issue a lot more important than people give them credit for but i also feel that we need to make sure that we have um sound sound knowledge of the word itself and that we don't start to misinterpret um god bless every pastor and every church leader and everything but sometimes you know we we may need to show ourselves approved and go back and do some studies or, you know, do what I did. I I went to the extreme because I went back to university (laughs) for three years. But it's really important that we keep on top of our knowledge because we have such a massive responsibility as leaders. If we are teaching people what is not right, then they're going to be teaching people what's not right. So that's kind of a reverse discipleship, if you like. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, that's actually happening as well. I do also feel, and I mentioned it earlier, I I feel there's so much value. A lot of churches don't or won't do it, but I think it would be really important, even though you might have a small group, it would be good if you can match individuals, a few individuals, with somebody who's been there and worn the t-shirt, if you'd like. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they've got life experience. And it's interesting, Esther, because I um I have been approached quite recently and oh, over the last few years by younger people who would like me to informally mentor them that are actually involved in church life but seem to see the value of it because they're not necessarily getting that. And it's not that they don't get it from their parents necessarily, but sometimes people want to speak to somebody that isn't, um, that's outside um, the circle that mm. might not prejudge them. And so there's a value in people getting together um, with, with one or two people who are more mature and, and, Maturity is not necessarily the case, but in terms of their spiritual journey and their maturity, they've had life experience to put them together. That doesn't necessarily mean they're even um, older people. It could be a young person that is 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 supporting a young person, but they've gone ahead slightly. Um, so I, I'd say these are three absolutely key things. The the fourth thing I would say is when we're preaching, we have to be very careful that we don't keep preaching our favorite Bible verses every week, every month, every quarter, every year. And we miss out the things that we need to be talking about. I remember when I was in Florida, um, they asked me to preach unexpectedly because I'm not really known as a preacher as such I'm much more a trainer teacher but um it, it was a, it was an honor for me um to serve and um I picked up Ecclesiastes 11.4 and I'm telling you Ecclesiastes the whole of that book is actually quite complex because it's got some really it's quite dark and depressing yeah. in yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um people came to me later and and said um they hadn't Really read it in the way because I had my own spin and the interpretation. Don't avoid um, you know, I know I know preachers that will only preach from the New Testament. Well, that's wrong. Because the, the the whole of that journey, what you could be doing is comparing what happened in the old with what happened in the new, even though you've got one text there. There must be something to balance it. So I would say number four, make sure that you're preaching the whole word and not just what you like, because that means that people are not being developed and therefore they're not being discipled either.
0: Mm, yeah. You mentioned the idea of uh, earlier on when you first got involved in church after being away from church for quite some time, mm. you got right involved and you were serving right away and you burned out. And then the same thing happened again. And one of the things that Holly and I talked about on one of the episodes that we've recorded for this series is All right. the idea that um, sometimes when you when a new believer comes to a church, they just get plugged right into serving right away. So Mm. I'm curious what your take is. Do you believe that there needs to be a certain level of discipleship happening before people get plugged into serving? Or do you think it happens simultaneously?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a very naughty question because I'll tell you, I'm I'm laughing because we've had, I don't know, you must have been in the room because we've been having this debate and discussion. See, on one hand, When you involve people, it's like when you involve children in what you're doing in the household, you know, cooking. So there's one example where, you know, you've got kids in the kitchen and they're cooking with you. They can't hold a spoon very well, but the fact is they're being involved in something. They want to be part of mommy or daddy's uh, life and they're, they're learning as they go along because it's learning in play as well. But the fact is you would not give them perhaps a piece of pork or um, uh, fish or whatever to cook because number one, they could cut their fingers. Number two, they could give you food poisoning. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) that's an analogy for how I'm going to answer this actual question. Because Mm. um, when you have uh, somebody that's quite new um, in a local assembly, my take on it is they need to be fully settled in terms of now that could be four weeks. It, and when we did our foundational courses, um, the rules were that they couldn't be involved for the first four weeks and, until they'd had at least some foundation. And the foundation course, as 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 you know, I mentioned it earlier, uh, were either eleven or six weeks, depending on what day they did them. So. In a way, um, it's uh, it's it's good for them to be involved early, but I don't think too early, because I think they need a little bit of found, foundation first. I think when you ask people to serve immediately, they don't understand the environment they're in. Um, well, I don't understand anything if they're a new believer, uh, but. I would say a caveat to that is we've had people in the church who have been um uh ordained or are mature Christians of uh, for years and if we know where they've come from then we can usually say it it is it's fine for you to serve in this department um, you will have some sort of evaluation after three months. Um, so that we can see how you're getting on and that should be closely, closely monitored. So I've given you a caveat there. So I haven't said yes or no. I'm saying these are the two situations you choose.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. I think that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So we believe on this podcast that leaders are learners and I think that's very clear that you enjoy learning. (laughs) Mm, Um, so I would love to know what you've been learning or reading or listening to lately that has been impactful for you.
2: Well, I mean, I've got, um, sorry, I'm not turning away, but I'm, I'm actually looking, um, a book. Page. I have got. Now I'll tell you some of the books that I've got here. I have got Richard Dawkins The God Delusion. So that talks about um he's a he's an internationally known atheist. Mm-hmm. Why would I be reading that? Because I need to understand mm-hmm. um the apologetics. Um I need to understand how to defend our faith. I can't mm-hmm. do that if I don't understand who's saying what about my faith. So um, that's one book. Um, I've also got a book called Theological Reflection. And the reason that I have got that, and the reason why I've really kept with this habit of journaling is because reflection, and I've talked to a lot of leaders and they don't necessarily reflect in a formal way. It's more in their head. But I think it really needs to be written down um I think Habakkuk Tutu tells us you know write the vision and make it plain but I think if we write things down or we have something to look back on so it uh, that's why I've got that particular book but I also listen not only to the podcast but I listen to um the apologist um uh his name is uh Ravi um Ravi Zacharias that's it Ravi Zacharias um and he is just amazing I think he's amazing um absolutely amazing but I'm just really interested as well in what's happening in popular culture for example you might have worked out that I'm a boomer even though I have the energy of somebody that's slightly younger. <laughs> but I'm a boomer, officially, I'm a boomer. Yeah. But I don't have the mentality of a boomer. I don't think I do anyway. And I found out recently, much to my horror, that there's this hashtag OK Boomer going along. Have you heard about that? No, I, I don't know well, much about that. <laughs> well, you look it up because, it's happening, and it's being used not only um, by people who are not believers, by but but by by people that purport to be believers. And what it's saying is, and you don't necessarily have to be in your late fifties or sixties. It could be somebody who they feel or they see as completely out of touch with what's going on,
0: um. which I have.
2: I I take I take different too, but the point. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason I brought that up is because we need to know what's going on in popular culture. I'm very interested, um, so I'll look at news stories that have nothing to do with Christianity at all, like the shopping trolley incident I told you about, um, so that we can um, look at it contextually um, and in line with. Because if we don't actually understand what's going on, how do we actually communicate in the first place? So that's a big thing that I do. You know, I, I purposely are out, out there, like, you know, taking stuff in, you know, mm-hmm. without the yeah.
0: overload. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a great, great tip. I think to, to keep ourselves, no matter what age we are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have an 11 year old daughter and there's a lot of stuff going on with the, that age group that I need yeah. to keep up you know, in touch with, or else I'm going to be an irrelevant parent. So Mm. yeah, great, (laughs) great tip. (laughs) So Madge, we just thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of your insights with us on this podcast. I would love for you to share where people can connect with you. And if you have a free gift or resource you'd like to share with our audience, feel free to share that as well. And we'll put all the links in the show notes.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I do have um something that I would like to give listeners it's um it's a leadership self assessment um I I wrote a couple of books one was called how to be a great christian leader um it's off the shelf at the moment but what is on the shelf is a self-assessment. Now, I'd like to give that to people because it's a really useful tool. A lot of the church leaders used it in America, and they found it very useful. So, I'll, I'll share the link with you uh, when when we're we're finished, um, and they can go and get a free leadership self-assessment, uh, which has been proved very very useful to the leaders that I've shared it with so far um you can also look out for me at com, and i am um the founder of growthechurchnow.com so you can go there and there are some resources there though that's still being built and finally i am on all social media platforms at madjabassaki official every platform's the same okay so Great, great. Well, thank you
0: so much for being with us today.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And may God continue to bless your ministries. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much. All right, friend. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation with Madge Obaseki and Holly and I. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Now, just a reminder that if you would like to support us with the podcast and also get access to exclusive content, just head over to com slash support. And if you do that today, you're going to get immediate access to two bonus clips, one from a previous episode that we had with Brandy Wilson back in episode 64. There's a clip that never aired. We pulled it out of that episode because we just needed to cut down the the length and so we have that for you and then we also will have a clip from today's episode that isn't wasn't included in what you just heard. So I'm sure you're going to want to check that out. Uh, let us know if you have any questions, feel free to reach out if you have questions about this, but head to estherlittlefield.com support to get all the details and go ahead and become a partner. Now don't forget your leadership matters and it's time for you to embrace your gifts and lead with confidence.